necessarily think this is Stonebridge specifically, although I do think that this is the church. I think about the downtown Marietta church. Right. These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I'm rich, I have acquired wealth and don't need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich. And white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness. And salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear to hear, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I'll say um, right off, this isn't going to be a negative beat you up type message i don't think hopefully i don't think that was jesus's intention in writing this letter at all there are three kind of major word pictures that i want to walk through the first one is this idea of lukewarm water Uh, and there's kind of two different ways of seeing this lukewarm water understanding it one is that he's referring to kind of people's spiritual temperature their passion for the lord you're either hot for god or you're cold for god and because you guys are neither hot for god nor cold for god i'm going to spit you out of my mouth I think that's wrong, actually. Um, The other way of understanding it has to do with usefulness. Uh, Laodicea was a town that did not have its own water supply. It got water from a town five or six miles away called Hierapolis, and Hierapolis was known for having these hot springs. And people went to these hot springs who were sick, and they were said to make people feel better. And then there was this aqueduct system that took water from Hierapolis to Laodicea, and obviously water traveling six miles from the source is going to it's going to cool off so by the time it got to Laodicea it was lukewarm and in addition to being lukewarm it was also filled with lime apparently that's what gave it some of the medicinal qualities and if you drink too much of that stuff you do throw up so that's kind of where that picture is coming from and then the cold water there's another town five or six miles away from Laodicea called Colossae or Colossae however you want to say it and they were known for these pure clean cold springs that they had So you had these two towns on either side of Laodicea. One of them was known for having this warm water, hot water, that helped people who were sick. The other was known for having this cold water, and that obviously refreshes people who are thirsty. And what God is saying is you guys are neither one. You're not hot. You don't help sick people. You're not cold. You don't help thirsty people. You're useless. I can't do anything with you, and so I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. That's kind of where that comes from. I don't think he's talking about people's spiritual passion I think what he's talking about is usefulness. So that's the first picture. Second, it's kind of this emperor has no clothes deal. The Laodiceans said we're rich, and Jesus says, well, actually, you're not. You're pitiful, you're wretched, you're poor, you're blind, and you're naked, which sounds like a pretty harsh thing to say to people that you love. We think we're rich, and he's like, no, you're not at all. Background on that, Laodicea was known for three things. There were three major um, industries in their town that brought in a ton of money it was a very wealthy city they had a major banking center so they had a lot of money from that they uh, produced this wool this black wool that they made expensive clothes from and there was a medical school with a famous ophthalmologist i said that 930 i have no idea what ophthalmology looks like in 70 a.d but that's what they had and 
this ophthalmology, this medical school, this ophthalmologist created this salve out of local powder and, and oil, and it was a lotion that was exported around the world to help people who couldn't see. So if you look at the things Jesus says, when he says, buy gold, well, they were a banking center. Buy clothes, well, they made clothes, and you need to get this salve for your eyes. Well, they made that stuff too. What you have is Jesus is exposing the areas where they felt strong. What he's saying is that you think you're rich. You think you're strong in these areas. Yes, you're rich, but you're not rich in the things that matter. From his perspective, from God's perspective, they were wretched and poor and naked and miserable and blind. And so it's just a perspective shift that he's trying to get them to see. And he is being harsh, but he's trying to get them to see that how they view themselves is not how he views them. So those are the first two pictures, this lukewarm water and then this emperor has no clothes, this thing where people just, we don't get who we really are. I was thinking about this, and my wife and I went, I'm going to, my wife and I went walking um, at the mountain on Friday, and we were talking about this, and she had this um, picture, and so that's, I'm ripping off her idea. So let's say this is my life, this paper plate, this is, this is me. And it's full of stuff. I'm going to keep leaning to the microphone just because they're trying to record it. So I've got work. And I work, you know, not as much as some of you, maybe more than some of you. I think about it all the time. So I've got stuff on my plate. This is just barbecue. So I've got stuff on my plate that takes up a big chunk of my time that's work-related. And then um, I have three children, and so I have home responsibilities as well. And so when I go home, we've got, you know, I've got soccer carpool to run and we've got jazz dance and I help with homework and you know Misty and I try to hang out every now and again and um, we've got stuff you got vacation you got stuff you want to do and you got stuff you have to do but you've got family stuff and then I've also got some friends a couple and I try to keep up with them you know whether that's getting together whether that's uh, email talking on the phone whatever and I've got friends that relationships I try to maintain and that takes up some of my time as well. And then our house, you know, I cut the grass. We've got, there have got to be groceries in the pantry. You know, the deck's got to be swept. The clothes have got to be washed, whatever we've got. So I've got all this home stuff that I've got to do also. And then in addition to all of that, you know, you've got, you just heard the pitch. There's Alpha. Well, do I come, do I come to Alpha? PTA, do I help with the PTA? So I've got all this stuff on my plate, and this is me. And for a lot of you, like, you're, you're piled higher than this. My life is probably more simple than some of you. And I've got all this stuff, and it's all good, except for the coleslaw. The rest of this stuff is good, and it's even necessary for living. But th this is where we live here in Marietta. There's, and it's pretty easy to get a full plate. Here, Maybe it's easy in other places as well, I don't know, but I know it's really easy here to get a full plate. And at some point, maybe when you were 10, maybe when you were 16, maybe when you were 28, whatever, you, you hear the gospel and you say, you know what, that's good. I want to follow Jesus, which is wonderful. And so you look at your life, you hear somebody like me say, you need to cultivate a relationship with God. And so you think, well, what does that mean? I don't have, there's, there's not space here for that, And so what God basically becomes for a lot of us is dessert, and we just kind of fit him in around the edges where we can, and we feel guilty about that, 
And you hear someone like me talk enough about cultivate, cultivate, cultivate. What you do is you try to create a little space between the beans and the coleslaw. And you put God right there. And that maybe makes you feel better for a little bit because you think you're doing what you're supposed to do. You think that that's what you're telling me to do. You're saying I'm supposed to read the Bible. I'm supposed to pray. I'm supposed to get in a small group, whatever. So you have this plate. I, actually, God didn't help you very much. All he did was add more stuff to your plate. And so this is you. And this is, this is your life. And this plate is you. And you're holding this thing up. And we all know it's just a matter of time before this thing breaks. And we've got a big mess on our hands that someone is going to have to clean up, most likely me. That's life for us. That's life for the Laodiceans. They had all this stuff that was going on. And what God was saying is, you guys, what you're doing, the plate, you're trusting in your own stuff. You're trusting in the fact that you're rich because of all these different things. That's, you think you're rich, and you are rich in one sense. That's, a paper, that's just a paper plate. That's trusting in your own strength. You're trying to hold this thing together, and I can't use you because all you have is a paper plate. The same thing is true for us. We've got all this stuff, good stuff, necessary stuff. I'm not saying any of this stuff is bad. I'm not saying you need to cut any of it. This is not a time management seminar. This is not about what's on the plate. This is about the plate and the fact that the plate is really, really flimsy. What Jesus says to the Laodiceans is you just need a new plate. And suddenly, it becomes a lot more stable. It's not going anywhere. The beans aren't going to soak through this plate. Nothing's going to roll off the side. This is what we need. And this is what he's saying to that church and what I think he says to this church, not just this church, but the church in Marietta. You guys need a new plate. What you're doing, you've got all this stuff going on that's good and wonderful and blah, 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 but you're holding it up. And it's just a matter of time before this thing breaks. Just a, Some of us can hold it together for longer than others. We've got styrofoam, whatever, but it's just a matter of time before it busts through. And it's going to be a huge mess, and you're going to have to clean it up. Why don't you get a different plate? Colossians 1.17, Jesus says, or Paul says about Jesus, he holds all things together. It's not your job to hold all things together. That's why you're tired. You're doing somebody else's job. This is you trying to hold together all the different elements of your life, and you're wearing out, and you're just waiting on this whole thing to break. Some of you are near the breaking point, and it's going to break. You're not intended to hold all things together. You're not that good. He is. We talked last week about fear, and we said one of the things that we all fear or that many of us fear is the future. We fear losing control, and the future represents that lack of control for us. None of us have any control on the future. We don't know what's going to happen literally 30 seconds from now. We don't. We can make a good guess, but we don't know. And so the future represents for a lot of us a lack of control, and that scares a lot of us. And so we plan, and we worry, and we do all these things to kind of get our arms around the future. We talked about the story in Mark 4 with the this hurricane that comes when the disciples are in the boat and Jesus falls asleep in the stern of the boat and they go back and forth, back and forth. They wake him up and he calms the storm, which almost seems like it's just a subplot. He does all that to get to the point where he can say, why are you guys so afraid? When we talked about that last week, for those of you who were here, that's what's going to happen to you and to me 
there's going to be a hurricane. Someone's going to die. Someone's going to lose some, someone's going to lose their job. Some crisis. I can't hold it together anymore. And the whole thing is going to break. And in that moment, if I don't have a good plate, I'm done. Things spiral out of control. I've got a huge mess on my hands. Some of you know what that's like. What Jesus was saying to the Laodiceans was not, you guys are bad, you're lukewarm in your faith. It was none of that. It's, I can't use you because you're using the wrong plate. If you would use the right plate, then I wouldn't have to spit you out of my mouth. I could actually use you. And for a lot of us, that's where we are. We've got a thousand things going on. But in a, this might sting, but in a sense, we're useless to Jesus. He can't do anything with us because everything we're doing, we do in our own strength. Some of y'all have probably seen this verse on a coffee mug, Zechariah 4, 6. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. That's more than a refrigerator magnet. That's how God actually works. He works by his spirit, not by our strength. In everything we do in our strength, no matter how good and righteous and holy, it excludes God because we've done it on our own. When God says that, he says it to a guy named Zerubbabel, who was basically the king of these exiles who were returning to Jerusalem and who were supposed to rebuild the temple. And what God is saying is, I'm going to do it. Zerubbabel and his guys actually laid the rocks. God didn't lay any rocks. Zerubbabel and his guys, they did all that. So in a sense, you could say, well, they did build the temple. What's the difference? And what I'm saying, nothing on your plate necessarily has to change. That's between you and the Lord. That, I don't have anything necessarily to say about that, at least not this morning. That This is whatever. I don't care what, you're, what you have on your plate. What I care about is what's holding, is it just you holding up your life or is Jesus holding up your life? That's, that's it. All of this stuff might look the same tomorrow that it did on Friday. The only difference is you, me, it's clicked in our head that I've been doing this in my own strength, and now I'm going to let him, who actually can hold everything together, hold everything together. The third picture, um, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. I think this is the most interesting one to me. Because it sounds so harsh what he says up to this point. You got, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. That's not pretty. You think you're rich, but you're wretched and miserable and naked and poor and blind. So you have these, you have these pretty harsh images. And then I would think that the, he would kind of continue in that mold. It sounds like people are being scolded. And so you kind of expect maybe some harsher thing for a solution, but the solution is I'm standing here knocking. Why don't you just let me come in and we can eat? That's the solution to this whole plate thing is letting Jesus in. He doesn't say fix anything. He doesn't say cut anything. He doesn't say change anything. He doesn't say make more room. He doesn't say any of that. He just says, I'm knocking at the door. Will you let me in? This painting back here was painted by a guy named um, William Hunt. Uh, William Holman Hunt, I think was his name, in the mid-1850s. Uh, it's called The Light of the World, and it was inspired by those verses in Revelation 3. And you can see in that painting, there's no handle on the outside. There's no, there's no doorknob on the outside of the door. The doorknob is on the inside. Jesus is standing knocking, and he's, at, and he's wanting us to invite him in. He doesn't just 
barge in. What he's looking for is someone to say, okay, I'm tired of trying to hold my life up. Will you come in and take care of it for me? We've talked before about James 4, 6, that God gives grace to the humble. We've said to be humble means to be dependent upon the Lord. If you're dependent upon the Lord, that opens you up to God's grace. If you're not dependent on the Lord, if you depend on anything else, your intelligence, your ability to get things done, your energy level, your bank account, your social network, your ability to figure things out, whatever, if you depend on anything other than Jesus, then you're being, that's pride. And very clearly, the Bible says God opposes the proud. What you have is God's grace is being, uh, Matthew 5, Jesus says that God reigns, God reigns down on the just and the unjust. There's rain for the just and the unjust. There's his grace is available to everybody, but some of us are kind of like a bottle with the top on. And his grace is being poured out but because we're not dependent upon him. It's just bouncing off. We're not getting any of the grace that he has for our life. We're doing this. And once you take the top off and say, Lord, I'm dependent upon you, well, then you receive his grace and you'll experience this. All of this stuff is still the same. It's just a whole lot sturdier. And you have somebody other than you holding things together. Someone who can actually hold it together is holding it together. And you don't have to do it anymore. That idea of holding together, if you go back and read Colossians 1, it's this real kind of cosmic thing. Jesus is the firstborn over all creation and the image of God. And it's these real lofty terms. And then it says he holds all things together. And the picture there is really of the details of your life. It's Paul's bringing it down real close. Yeah, he holds the stars together. And he also holds your sanity together. He does both of those things. And so for us, all you do is you open the door. That's it. You don't have to fix anything. You don't have to change anything. You need to say, I need help. That's repenting. I need help. Come in and eat with me. Come help me. That's it. You open the door. He'll come in and then he'll fix things. You might have to do things down the road, whatever. That's between you and him. How do you start? You start by opening the door. It's interesting to me that the God of the universe knocks on the door of our hearts. Instead of us knocking on his door, he's knocking on ours. That shows to me the heart behind all of this stuff in Revelation. He's not scolding the Laodiceans. I don't think he scolds those of us who are doing this. I think it's it's out of love, and honestly, it's, it's pity. You got... You, it's not, you can't, he knows it's a, this plate's about to bust through, seriously. It's about to bust through, and he knows that's what's going to happen to every one of us at some point. It's going to bust through. And what he's saying is it can either bust through, and then you realize that you're relying on your own strength, or you can listen to this rebuke I'm giving you. And that way you avoid the plate falling apart. And that's, I think, why he speaks so strongly to these Laodiceans. He's trying to wake them up. So they don't have to experience this huge mess on their hands. The fabric of the universe is you can't hold it together. He can. And at some point, we're all going to realize that. So why not let's realize it before things, we have baked beans all over the floor that we have to clean up. Let's pray. We're going to take communion.